it's mostly just long periods of inaction, sort of very briefly interspersed with a little bit of surfing, which most of is insignificant anyway, and most rides aren't the score. If you look at the numbers, it, it, essentially the whole thing is kind of 95% just dead air. You think the end section on the Margaret River right is a bit of a nightmare. The N section on the on the street called Bay left is just a car crash. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson and this is one of two podcasts that are currently operating on the STAB podcast feed. This is by far the superior podcast. There's also Stabcast for that Mikey and stay released occasionally for those who like what they do. This week on The Drop, we have two interviews. The first is with Paul Evans, a hilarious surf rider, commentator and personality from the UK who currently bases himself in France. And we chatted about Medina and his new coach, Andy King, as well as the ultimate sham of a life that the uh, WSL judges are living. After that, I chatted to Chris Binns, another stab contributor, who is currently posted up in WA. So we chatted about the pros that are desperately scrambling to find boards that will be able to handle the huge swell that is predicted for the first day of the Margaret River event that starts on Sunday and after my chat with Mr. Beans, the swell got upgraded a little and they're saying it's going to be 12 foot now on that opening day and, and the biggest board that John John has right now is a 6-2. The biggest board that Gabby's got is a 6-8. Jack Robbo only has a 6-6 and Sally Fitz has a 6-1 a and apparently... John John Florence is the only one who isn't scrambling around trying to find bigger boards before Sunday. Before we get to those interviews, let's chat surf news. And this week, the world's most famous surf fans. I mean, probably, you know, one of the, I follow a lot of, of surfers and, and foilers. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty into the, the sport, so... You know, people like Kyle Lenny and, you know, Lucas Chumbo, um, you know, I mean, it's it, are, are, are obviously, you know, awesome at this. Um, you know, I, th- I think Kai is, is um, you know, he's like magical. Who would have thought that tech billionaire sociopaths were into surfing? That was Mark Zuckerberg, of course, who everyone knows, found a Facebook and is a reptile posing as a human being but fooling nobody. And there's so much talk of the WSL and their pursuit of that mainstream audience. So, and if I'm thinking if Zuckerberg is into surfing, then that dream of, of hitting that mainstream seems a little more, a little more achievable to me. Uh, at least that was kind of what I first thought, but Kyle Lenny and, and Lucas Chumbo are both big wave surfers, which is, is the most translatable form of surfing to uh, an, a non-surf audience. But those, those big audience for surf, uh, surfing and surfers are there. They, you, just got, you just need to look at the numbers that the vlogs get. They're, they're pretty psycho. I, I, just, I spent so much time just pondering, like, who are these people that are watching these vlogs? They, they don't, they, these vlogs don't appeal to any of the surfers I know. 
unless they're tuning in for the occasional hate watch. But then there's just this huge number number of people that are subscribing and, and clicking play weekly, monthly, and and maybe even daily. I don't know how what the schedule is for releasing these blogs. And I've always just wondered who watches these videos and and I found one. I stumbled across a listener the other day when I was listening to another podcast, American Comedian Bert Kreisner, Bert Kreisenstein. Uh, Bert, he, he cannot surf at all, but he's a funny man who was talking about his YouTube habits on the podcast he does with fellow comedian Tom Segura. I'm, okay, <laughs> so I'm obsessed with these kids in Hawaii, right? Yeah. It's so creepy. Last night I was like, I was like, it's so creepy because I'm sitting in my man cave. I'm on my phone. I've got my phone, a glass of wine. I'm on the treadmill. I'm watching this kid. Uh, Nathan Florence is his name, right? Mm -hmm. His brother, John John Florence, is like a really good surfer. Yeah. He's a really good surfer too. But I got into this kid, Jamie O'Brien. Jamie O'Brien is... I You've think named like five people. <laughs> I know. They're all, these, they're all these kids that live in Oahu okay. and are professional surfers. They're all, first of all, they're all top of their field surfers. Like, I mean... And how old are we talking? I don't know. I think like 25, maybe 26. Okay. And so... They're all top of their fucking field surfers. And then they all have vlogs. Mm -hmm. Like they all vlog. Like it's their thing. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking fascinating because I'm watching this and I know more about this kid, Nathan Florence, than I ever should know. So there you have it. Surfing is relatable and, and does have the potential to translate to the mainstream. Maybe not high performance surfing or competitive surfing that the WSL is peddling though. I mean, like Bert crystals mentioned he he's more into nathan florence because of his vlog than he is nathan's older brother who uh, is some really good surfer whose name he he uh, can't seem to remember and i just think the reason non-surfers gravitate to this type of content is obvious of course it's it's simply because it's it's uh it's 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 easy to understand and, and it's aspirational. Like, vlog content is so much more digestible to the non-surfer than world tour competition with its like heavily nuanced rules and confusing judging criteria. And I think the way I look at it is, is like this. We've all picked up a basketball, a tennis racket. We've all kicked footballs. We've all at least sampled these sports and are able to relate to what's involved, you know, the skills required and, and the sort of difficulties the athletes are facing when they, when they play these sports. And despite how easy it is for people who surf to understand the difference between a couple of uh, different forehand hacks and, and the skill level required to, uh, to complete them, if you don't surf, it's all just fairly uninteresting nothingness. And on top of this, the chance of being able to bridge the gap of understanding for a non-surfer is, it's virtually impossible. They'll, they'll never get there by just clicking on the internet and, and starting to watch heats because there's just too many that you have to get through before you, you reach a resolution and a winner. It's just too much to ask of them. Each contest has 70 heats and they come on and go off at random times. It's... In total, each event is 35 hours of surfing that you need to sit through uh, to really start to understand what's happening. And then you get that payoff with a winner at the end. So 
those relatable storylines of the vlogs seem to be what's working and and the numbers say that as well. I mean, Jamie O'Brien, who is probably most successful out of all the vloggers, has more subscribers on his YouTube channel than the WSL does. Hi, my name's Jamie O'Brien and welcome to my YouTube channel. Some of his videos have over 25 million views each, so he's a beast. Hey, also on that same thread of surfing hitting the mainstream, one of Stab's writers, Ali Klinkenberg, interviewed Action Bronson on Stab Premium this week. Action Bronson, if you don't know, is a rapper from New York who I love. He, he's also a chef, so he slips in a lot of lines about food in his lyrics, which is nice. It's more relatable than... Lyrics about guns and selling drugs and bitches, etc. All the other typical rap themes. Just let me sharpen my knife, throw on an apron. Exes mark the steak and a salad crumble with bacon and blue cheese. Caramel complexions on two knees. The reason he showed up on Stab Premium is that he's now a passionate bodyboarder. He's also recently lost 140 pounds of weight, which is 63.5 kgs in the metric system. So I guess now that he is skinny and surfs, he's, his lyrics won't be about food anymore, though. They're more likely to be about bodyboarding. Either way, it's a great article and the link is in the episode description. And I'm not sure if anyone's clicking on or even appreciates the convenience of these links I'm putting in the episode descriptions, but uh, I won't stop. And, and they, they will be there. Let's get to our interview this week with Paul Evans. Paul is one of my favorite commentators and surf personalities. He's hilarious and smart and he's originally from England with that beautiful English accent accent that makes him sound even smarter and even funnier. If you like the sound of Paul Evans, he does a, a really good podcast with another surf journalist by the name of Ben Mundy and their podcast is called it's not the length, so do check that out. Yeah, no, I haven't, haven't done um, much CT stuff, but I mean, I definitely would if, if they asked me just because I fucking love the sound of my own voice, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, I probably did just get a start in the beginning because I, I had a an English accent, which was like my only, that's all I had when I started doing it. I do remember the first time I did an event, people like messaging me going, you don't even know the names of the moves. I was like calling stuff wrong. Oh, really? um, You were, that you were sort of didn't have any surf knowledge yet. uh, I I mean, I think I've had some, but people were just giving me shit anyway. We used to to have like a, we used to have like a a um, phone that people could text in, which was so good. Like, yeah, just like free Twitter. But, um, and even like I remember like some of the um, some of the surfers like this guy's a fucking idiot. That's so good, um, yeah. But anyway, and what did you think about the WSL's new approach to the webcast during the Australian leg? There was guests that were sitting in via satellite and hung around for a couple of heats, as as well as all the new faces. Yeah, uh, I didn't notice that it was that new, but. Um, yeah, I thought it was broadly pretty good. I mean, it's always like, you know, it's a, people love to hate it for obvious reasons. It's on all day. It's mostly just long periods of inaction, sort of very briefly interspersed with a little bit of surfing, which most of is 
insignificant anyway. And most rides aren't a score, you know, just if you look at the numbers, so it, it, essentially the whole thing is kind of 95% just dead air. So <laughs> it's sort of like a hard task unto itself. Bro- I thought it was broadly good. I liked, um, I thought Stace Galbraith was really good on his interviews. Um, he, I, I, he seems to have mastered this art of like quite fast sort of diction for an Aussie. Like he seems to be able to get, he's got a really good word rate for, for an Australian. Yeah, I heard, um, I heard he, you mention this, that, mm. that he, has, he has this quicker pace to his voice. And I didn't actually realise that Australians are known for talking slow. I'm actually talking quicker right now than I normally do because you've, you've, you've put the fear in me. I've got, a, I've got a French mate here um, who speaks really good English and he would talk to like some of the, our Aussie friends who used to come and do events and stuff like that and they would talk to him and be like, I won't do his accent, but he'd be like, why are you talking so slowly? Like, I'm not fucking dumb. And I was just like, no, that's just how they talk, mate. Like, and that's his second <laughs> he language. Thought, he thought they were patronising him, but they were just, that's just yeah, how they talk. Yeah, yeah, That's just oh, how they yeah. talk. Yeah. I think it's Jeez. the sunshine or just, just more relaxed kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, hey, I'd loved your your Andy King article on how he secured Gabby Medina. Yep, yeah. Um, as his new disciple, or, or or how Gabby scored him as his new coach. So how yep. did how did Andy get the call up? Um, so basically, the way he tells it is it all came through uh, Mick Fanning, who's like been a good mate of Kingy, and King, Kingy's like worked you know in his camp as well, and he's he's obviously really good mates with Gabrielle. And uh, Gabrielle apparently said to Mick he was he was looking for someone to help him uh, in Australia, and, and um, Mick sort of contacted King and kind of vouched for both of them. Like, um, yeah, as King he says, he kind of had the confidence of both of them, so he sort of vouched for them and and put it together like that. I mean, everyone's like Medina's like it's quite weird, not weird, it's sort of misunderstood figure, and that his kind of persona that you this on screen persona seems quite radically out of touch with sort of people that know him, that have always said he's like a total legend. And yeah. like you hear that quite a lot, you know? Like, I remember what, there was that QS event in, in Indo and he was over there filming something. I don't remember, there was that one, there was a left, it was kind of pumping, I can't even remember where it was. But a few of the Aussie QS surfers, I remember the, the next event was somewhere in Europe that I was at and they were saying, oh, he's such a legend. He was getting on the beers with us and just like, he was just t- it's like totally cool, down to earth. But it doesn't, that's maybe not how people kind of picture him when they see him having a bit of a tantrum or, you know, he can be sort of a little bit of this sort of pantomime villain type figure yeah. um, on the on screen. But yeah, everyone, it's sort of quite a consistent thing that people that know him say he's actually like a really good bloke. You, you get that a lot. Yeah, there was, a, there was a funny little anecdote that Mick tells about a good friend that was staying at his house and and Mick told him that Gabby was coming to stay and, and the guy was like, what? I don't want to fucking hang out with that guy. And then Mick was like, just wait. And then sure enough, a couple of weeks later, they, you know, they loved each other and he, Gabby was his new best friend. And yeah, that, you hear that just so often. And Gabby, I feel like even though everything you said is true and he definitely is the villain and he's the emotional one who people tend to either make fun of or, or he either he sometimes you know, will put them off with, with these outbursts, in the moment, I feel like at the moment he's going through a little period where I've heard a lot of people, a lot of his detractors kind of turning around and, and actually seeing the more human side and loving him. And I don't know if that's now because he isn't the reigning world champ, but do you think he can maintain this current momentum in terms of his perception? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm probably like a big part of that as well. He sort of changed up his crew. He used to be in more of like a sort of a family unit. And, you know, they kind of seemed like a little bit of that, maybe that kind of siege mentality of like us against the world. Now he's got, you know, it's gone from that one extreme to just a completely different one with with Kingy, who, you know, a lot of people in surfing, particularly in Australia, would know. And kind of, I think you sort of, there's, there's that aspect of it, of mixing it up and, but also, I think also if you just like if you if you go against someone that always wins, it's actually like really knackering. Like I get that. I support. You like think he's kind of the shit. I support quite a relatively shit like football team, soccer team in in England, and it's like fucking tiring. And I've always hated Man United or Liverpool. But after a while, it is really tiring, like having that much hate. And they always win, so there must there could just be as simple as that. People are like, ah, fair enough. Um, you just sort of switch over, and hey, you know, you're stoked when he's doing well. But yeah, I don't see why he can't make it last. Does he? Does it's been around for quite a long time now, and. I don't know. He's, uh, yeah, you can't call it. I, yeah, I just think there's there's a lot to admire about it. surfing and in general, um, there's other people to to hate on. You know, there's Italy's champ now, so he's you know he's got the target on his back, and yeah, it's um, there's always there's always fresh meat. I've seen a few moments on the webcast where you get to hear a little bit of his coaching, and yeah, and when you hear when you hear him talking to a surfer it's, it's never much in the way of technical know-how or in-depth strategy what you do see is like a lot of emotion and and support and he just seems like a, a really good guy like what do you what what do you think about him it is that makes him such a so appealing as a coach i think like part of his nature is he's quite everything's quite sort of black or white from from what i can tell with him things are either like really good you know, like he's like, you know, he really kind of talks people and things up in like really complimentary terms or that kind of the, the shit or whatever. And I think that maybe from that kind of sort of polarizing in the information is probably quite, quite good for a competitive surfer where it's very easy to get caught in two minds between things. That is probably simplifies a lot of what's in their mind. He, I think, yeah, I, I've, I've, I don't know if I saw like a text or something that he sent Julian once or something like that, but it was literally like one word. Like he'll watch some surf and he'll film for a bit and his little camera, but he'll just text like a single, I hope I'm not giving any secrets. So it just texts like a word to him. So he texts like um, my so, mum. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think maybe, yeah, maybe it's just a case of sort of simplifying stuff. Like, like you said, it's, it's not probably not like that kind of technical stuff especially with someone like Gabrielle but um yeah more these kind of like emotional triggers or th- those sort of more like sort of vibe based type stuff without meaning to you know get too sort of mystical with it but to be honest I'm I'm fairly mystified as to what coaches do anyway I've always sort of wondered um what yeah what exactly goes on but I'm I'm, I'm glad they're there because it, I think I love the little camps you know yeah. I love the idea of like these like little rival crews um, I just think that's hilarious. A bit like an anchor man, you know, and they're sort of news crews see each other. I love that. I just love that um, about the coaches. If they um, did have a fight to the death, all the different packs, then I think Medina and Kingy, <laughs> even though there's only two of them, that could be a pretty good. Uh, no pretty, way. Pretty good no, do- no dog for sure. Oh, you think he's got dog. the? He's yeah. Definitely. He's just got the ground yeah, game that. covered. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, my money being him all the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess Kingy's obviously like, he's, you know, an amazing surfer, but there's, it's, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Um, 
and there's something about the things that he sees or the the information that he can kind of relay to the surfer that I mean it obviously works because it's I mean it's a it's a meritocracy being a coach right if if what you're doing isn't good it's not hard for them to find another kind of ex-pro with a video camera and you've known Andy for a while didn't you have an incident with him in Hawaii that gave you a little bit of a up close and personal insight (sighs) into his coaching methods (laughs) yeah um yeah, we'd known each other for ages. I just met him the first time I went to Australia. I just met him and, and then he used to come over to England and stayed with me. I bet we did the event in Newquay. So I've known each other for, yeah, since like the 90s. Um, yeah, we the the thing you're talking about, We uh, I was staying on the North Shore with him and uh, cut a long story short, the waves are really big one day, like massive. And like a couple of the Australians... Uh, I think it was like uh, Ant- uh, Paul Patterson and like Tony Ray came by and they're like, Kingy, it's fucking, it's picked up. Grab your biggest board. It's huge. Like, I was like, oh, fucking hell. What? Like these guys are saying it's really big. And anyway, the waves are huge. Um, and I didn't surf. And he was so angry with me. Like, you know that expression? Like, I'm not, I'm not angry and disappointed. He wasn't disappointed. He was just angry. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah, and we we stayed in this we stayed in this little place. We both kind of slept on the floor in this little thing in the it's like in someone's garden, a little shed or something. And the nice old Hawaiian auntie in the morning would come and plug in this little uh, uh, coffee percolator in the dark. So we'd hear it like making the coffee. I'd wake up, look at Kingy. He'd wake up, and the first thing he'd say before he'd even like open his eyes, he'd be like, he'd like breathe. Can't believe I'm staying in Hawaii with a pee hat. He would like wake up angry in the morning, which is actually—it's really hard to do. Like, it's really hard to be angry with your first thought in the morning. It's just like anger. So but, he just um, didn't yeah, let it go. And what was the other punishment? He, he was like, he locked you out of your car or something. And did he? Wasn't he inflicting all kinds of? No, no, not really. It was mainly just he was just like he was just like really angry with me and just berate, kind of berated me relentlessly basically right. but you know we work we work through it and did that we work you, you're work. a competent big wave surfer now in hawaii um no i wouldn't no i wouldn't i probably wouldn't i probably wouldn't i'd say it's had the opposite effect yeah <laughs> it like, made me so it made me like shrink back i'd say it's, it definitely would have stunted my um my progression in in those areas and I, t- to this day any deficiencies i might have in big waves i'd probably still put down to down to kingy That's yeah his fault well, I mean, he might have that anger, but he's such an inspiring guy when you hear his story. I mean, he yeah. He uh, I think it's pretty well known, but the the just one point in particular is the injury he suffered. He was punched out and 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 almost died, lost his hearing, lost his equilibrium and was able to, you know, surf again, which it's all it's really inspiring and there's lots of other really inspiring parts to just his personality in general and just his he's just he's disposition with the world uh so when you're with him is is that is that what makes him is that what contributes to his coach is it just knowing that and just having him around just kind of beaming that positivity that you you sort of have to respond to that yeah i'm not sure i do like to be honest i don't know if he's really that's i don't think it's particularly changed him at all it's just like kind of from a little sort of you know his, his hearing's not as good, you know. <laughs> so I'm just like so, buying into some sort of Hollywood, Hollywood romanticized version he, of Kingy, having not maybe, knowing him. yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure that it's it's you know 
particularly any different from how he was before. I think the people, the thing people probably like about him and why it works with some of these, like some of the real biggest kind of names like Mick or, or Gabrielle is like, he's just like really kind of genuine is who he is. And yeah. so there's no kind of artifice at all, or he's not capable of kind of doing that. Yeah. Saying something for effect or any of that sort of things. So I think that's probably more of his appeal is that he's just sort of really genuine. And he's also just, he's just really funny. He's got that classic sort of that kind of sense of humor where he's normally the butt of his own jokes. And um, I think just that combination, I don't know if it's, that much to do with what happened to him i i don't know how much that you know he thinks about that or whatever each day but i'm not sure it's particularly changed anything really from from knowing him before and since i I wouldn't say it's necessarily changed anything about him at all that's interesting and who would you have chosen to be your new coach if you were medina Mm, um yeah good question um yeah, Kings get a, a good choice, I suppose, in terms of the contrast of of what he was working with before with with his with his stepdad. But in terms of people on tour, yeah, like I mentioned, Dog earlier, he's he's sort of a bit of a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I mean, how many other ones are there? Like, there's there's not that many. Oh, I wanted going you to get there. even think outside of surfing. I mean, he's got a lot of disposable cash. He could probably afford to sort of lure some, you know, he could probably get the Dalai Lama if he really wanted to. They say like a lot of the really successful coaches in some like team sports with like real big kind of star names are those kind of like dad figures, those sort of paternal kind of wise. But I guess that's, he, he's sort of looking for the opposite of that, isn't he? So maybe um, like a, maybe a female coach would be, would be good for him to mix up. I know that um, Andy Murray, the the Scottish tennis player, was getting coached by um was Amelie Marisma, the was it the French um French tennis player, the woman tennis player. So yeah, maybe maybe get out of that sort of toxic masculinity area and go for go for a woman. You know, it's twenty twenty one after all. Sure, that's that's a, some good advice right there. And hey, there was a there was one comment on your article on Stab Premium, and it went a little something like this. It went. Gabe is relaxed in love and getting laid on the regular. Deadly fucking combination right there. So he's kind of like, I mean, he's kind of dismissing Kingy's latest coaching achievement at Narrabeen. Uh, I don't, uh, without meaning to, um, you know, reveal sort of the personal lies of any of our favourite surfers, I don't think it's, it's anything particularly new about him getting laid on the regular, I would say with some... <laughs> degree of confidence um i think that's been fa- fairly consistent for a, n- a number of years um yeah so i'm not sure there's anything there's anything particularly new there but um yeah i yeah i it's really hard to say like it, you know the effect of the coaches but i guess it's one of those awesome jobs where if it all goes wrong it's not necessarily your fault and if it all goes right you're a genius so I'm, I'm, I'm saying let's put it down to Kingy for sure so far. <laughs> let's see how he goes in, in WA. It might all go terribly wrong and they'll be, they'll be out the door again. Hey, your article makes a pretty interesting point about the, like the friction that exists between Brazil and Australia. What, what was Kingy's take on, on why Brazil and Australia have that friction? Yeah, well, he seems, he was saying that he thought the uncomfortable thing for some Australians was that it's kind of like looking in the mirror and and Brazil had become kind of what Australia used to be. So they had this kind of like start a mongrel 
kind of, you know, this kind of grit and this hustle about them. And I guess I think the broader point he was making that Australian surfing got a bit too comfortable and and uh, they don't really have those those kind of battlers. Um, and I think that, yeah, that was the point he was making that basically they, they, there's a lot of similarities, which is actually, I mean, that's actually quite an insightful point. I, I, w- I would never have put it down to any kind of similarities between the two. I guess... Um, I guess those those national rivalries are always pretty good um, to have in, on the tour. But I think Brazil's definitely sort of, it's, they've won. I mean, there is no real rivalry, <laughs> is there? Like, and they make the most noise. They got the cool, they got even got a cool flag. Like they just seem to, yeah. I don't really like, I don't really like flags in general that much, but I, the Brazilian one would be an exception. They got like a super cool looking flag and they just, yeah, that, that, that whole momentum they got, they got untold amounts of support, particularly in Australia, but anywhere around the world. Um, they're that they've kind of won that war in in, in lots of ways, haven't they? It's, um, oh, it's for sure. I mean, they've won the battle. I don't know if you count world titles if they've quite won the war. war but what do you make of that friction? That's it's quite obvious and and easy to see. I think for most people, you're somewhat outside of it. You know, you're coming from England. You live in France. How do you make sense of of, of that friction? Um, I guess I, it's weird because it's just it's an individual sport. They're not competing for their countries, are they? But I, traditionally, like the, the gatekeepers of the sport were these kind of like white, blonde American or Aussies. We 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 I say we you guys, but you know, got to tell the got to tell the the history, owned the history, all the legends and all that, and and yeah, everything kind of went through that kind of part and and it's it's not that anymore is it surfing clearly so that's pretty cool and like that's probably you know I, I don't think it'll ever go back to being kind of run by um australia and america even if maybe brand wise and stuff like that it would but overall that we're yeah that kind of like type of gatekeeper kind of thing is a bit, bit of a trendy word to use but um that's definitely new and to to be encouraged the story mentions Julian Sackingy five times and I loved how <laughs> honest he was about that. And, and Julian's had a long list of coaches. He's had Jared House, he's had Kingy, and then more recently he had Luke Egan, but they're, yeah. they're no longer working together. Right. What do, you, what, do you think, what do you think going on with Julian and these coaches? Um, well, the obvious answer would be that he hasn't like top won the title, so I guess, you know. It's not, maybe it's not, it's not worked in that most obvious sort of sense. So move on next. Um, maybe, you know, it does, I, yeah, I don't really know him, but it doesn't seem like that much of a laugh. So maybe, yeah, just quite sort of serious about everything, I guess, overall. And yeah, I'm, I'm maybe, I don't know whether he's hard to work with or, the, or just the coaches haven't, you know, I imagine it's probably, it's probably him ending the relationship, I'm, I'm guessing, but um, Jared, I'd like Jared Howes would be up from, from what I've seen of him. He seems like a super smart guy. Um, I'd like him to be my coach, just, just not just for surfing, but just sort of in life. He seems like definitely he's got his head. He seems very kind of measured and a kind of calm. Like he'd be good just to, just to hit up for day to day situations. What should I do here? Um, <laughs> anything else you want to talk about? Anything to mention about Kingy that we didn't? Is there anything about the event, the world tour? Oh, well, I sort of got this thing about judging, but I don't know if it's very interesting. I'd love to hear it. Uh, um, well, 
I mean, this is something I've sort of gone on record in, in the past, but I, the thing I always find quite fascinating about surfing is 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 how over-officiated it is. Um, yeah. how, how do you mean? And Well, it's easily the most over-officiated sport in the world. If you think about how many how many humans it requires to assign a score. Um, but what about gymnastics, just, diving, all these other sports that have a similar, you know, figure skating? Aren't they all doing the same thing with panel, panel of judges? No, no. They're not? Like in surfing, there's like four, three or four people just deciding whose wave it is. You've got like your priority judge, <laughs> yeah. but then you've got the person that, tur- well, in the olden days turns a little thing. Now it's the lead light, but, you know, they're on the other end of the little walkie-talkie, like changing that thing. You've got your panel of judges, but we, you lose the, the, the high and low scores. So of the five of them, two scores are getting deleted, right? Then you've got, you, you have two panels of judges because they're, they're on a break, like half of them at any one time, half of them on a break. You can't do it all day, like because the event goes all day. So those sports you're talking about, they only ever last an hour or two. So you just have like three people think about boxing. There's like there's three, there's three dudes writing it down on back of a cigarette packet who won <laughs> what round for this is for hundreds of millions of dollars, like the outcome. And surfing, you've got this massive panel that have to come from all different places around the world. You know, you got you got to have your South American judge, your European judge. Half the time, their their scores don't count, or they're on a break. There's a lot of them, and that's without even getting into like your marshals and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I always thought that aspect of it is quite funny. It'd be interesting to see how the results would be different if you literally just if you just had the head judge on, on its own. Because I mean, yeah, I haven't mentioned you got your head judge as well as the panel, and there's obviously another head judge for when the head judge is having a break. So. <laughs> You're talking 16 people just to assign as someone takes off on a wave and wiggles along. It's 16 people that have been flown in from all corners of the planet to assign that score, which generally doesn't count anyway in, in the sort of outcome of the event. So, yeah, I just always thought that was quite a funny thing. I would quite like to see how it happened if you just, just only had the head judge and just did, a, just did the, the gladiator style, thumbs up or thumbs down. I wonder if... If surf judges are going to go the way of the supermarket checkout and just become uh, like replaced by the thing, you know, just an some sort of AI type technology where where there's no humans involved anymore. I mean, it can't they be that get, far off. They get so much shit. Like the judges get so much shit, and traditionally they're the sort of like the butt of whatever jokes. And on the, I honestly reckon it's like a brilliant career. Like I got a mate whose kid is is like he surfs a bit from back home and he doesn't kind of think about what to do. I'm just like, dude, do your judging courses. Be like the British judge. I don't think there is one. Be the British judge. You go, you go, you surf every day. You do two heats on, you have one off, you surf. The money's pretty good. Like they get paid more than commentators, which do they? obviously, well, that's the main reason, obviously for my, for my beef, but they get paid more <laughs> than commentators, certainly on the QS. It's good money. Loads of time off. You get to travel around. You're basically permanently on a surf trip. Like yeah. it's, it's actually a wicked job. Like the mm. the um and everywhere they go, they kind of get a little bit looked after and you know taken to little cool spots for dinner. So yeah, from being the sort of the sort of you know the kind of turds of the of the of the whole show, I actually think they're probably they probably got the best gig. They're la- they're the ones laughing, huh? And they're somewhat Tur- anonymous, even though that we know who Pratamo is the head judge. Other than yeah. that, like, who are these people? No one knows. So the people are making all this they're, noise and getting angry at the judges, but they're somewhat anonymous. So they're traveling the world 
stealing waves off pros while they're trying to warm up, probably pissing them off and actually probably getting a few because the surfers don't want to be on their bad side. And they can't ever really be replaced because you talk to surfers on tour about whether or not you could judge via the web and they just say that you, there's things you can see in person about the way a wave stretches out and how critical it is that you just, it doesn't translate to the webcast. So they sort of have to be there. And so, yeah, totally. right. it's a pretty great career path. Imagine being 25, just your tender blowing up. You're in Australia, Brazil, Hawaii, Europe. It's just like such a cool way of doing it. And, and you get to surf an absolute ton. Some of them, are, some of them absolutely rip as well. I'll say that. But, um, yeah, like you said, they are anonymous. They're sort of encouraged not, they're not really allowed to sort of um, hang out too much with the surfers for obvious reasons. But I mean, you know, a lot of the towns that the tour goes to, they're pretty small kind of places. So it's sort of hard not to bump into them. And at which times they kind of just, they sort of keep their head down if they're in like a lift you know, really? in a hotel. They just, you just see them, they just kind of like, that. that's the only sort of downside you got. Like you can't look at the, the emperor or whatever. You're not allowed to, no eye contact. So they just have to sort <laughs> of look at the floor. Is that real? Are you making that? No, that I'm being real. deadly. Not, they don't, they're not told to not look down, but they don't go, hey, where are you surfing? Did you check that left to, you know, whoever's, you know, they're going to be yeah, judging. Right. They're not the like, next day. they're not, not bro shakes and like slapping exactly. on the back. So they just go, you know, good day, whatever, men look the other way. So that, that would be the only downside. You're not allowed to make eye contact with, with professional surfers, which, which is basically the only reason most of us sort of work in surfing. You know, so you can sort of look at them, be drawn in by their glow, drawn in by their glow, drawn in by their glow, drawn in by their glow. Thanks, Paul. Next up, we have Chris Bins or Binzy, as he's more formally known. Chris Beans was Stab's reporter on the ground for the previous two events on Australia's East Coast, writing daily event wraps. So you might've read those or you might've read some of Binzi's other stories that show up on Stab Premium from time to time. Binzi is one of those people that is on tour even though he's not on tour and he's been running that program for over a decade. He might be the person that's most on tour even though he's not on tour. He's, he's the former editor of Surfing Life magazine and he's since gone, to, gone on to work for the WSL, Red Bull, Stab and he's actually hosting no contests for the Western Australian leg, that, uh, the video series that Stab does with Red Bull. He's, he's also a great man and a Western Australian local. So let's hear about what's going on over there. Hang 10 on the Donald Takayama, nose rider, hose after the show diver. You know what I'm talking about Yeah, Virginia. that's the beach break side of things. Don't wait till they get over here. Indian Ocean reef breaks. Like, oh, this will sort the men from the boys. Oh, that, that kind of thing. Oh, and, really? So the, the West Australian mindset is, is just around just knowing that you guys have superior surf? It's not even that. It's just like... No one even surfs beach breaks here. Like, unless they're crazy psycho things like rabbits or... I mean, I guess beaches or something, but yeah, it's just it's just reef or reef with bits of sand over it, basically. Yeah, and what was the vibe like on the charter flight? It was the second charter flight that WSL has executed in recent times. Went from Sydney to Bustleton Airport there in Margaret River. Is that? Did you get a sense from from speaking to people that were on the flight that it was tense on there? Was was Carissa Moore just like battling for the armrest with Bronte McCauley just? Just typical flight shenanigans, stealing peanuts from each other. Um, it sounded more like a school excursion. 
Uh, I talked to Sage Erickson the other day and she's like, it's so cool being on a flight where you know 95% of the people. But yeah, it was really good vibes by all reports. People were concerned that their boards were or were not going to get on. Like 80 coffins of board bags. 80 coffins? On that one flight. Something like that, yeah. That's, um, that's amazing. And apparently, or not apparently, he did. Uh, Joe Tapel got on the PA and, and gave about a two or three minute spiel, welcoming everyone aboard. And you know what? This just in all the boards made it. You guys have all your equipment, it'll be there for you upon arrival. That's it. Enjoy your flight. Best of luck, best of waves. We'll see you in the last. And it was just perfect Joe in his flight attendant voice, just, you know. But meanwhile, enjoy the perfect spitting barrels and the beautiful red wine available in Western Australia. <laughs> He's, I mean, he, the career option for him when he leaves surf commentary, if he ever does, are, are, are endless. But flight attendant has got to be right up there with one of his most suited professions. He, he would just be... It would just be gold. It'd be so comforting to start a flight with, with Joey Tapel just talking you through it. And, and who's going to argue? You know, well, excuse me, sir, could you put your window up and your seat, seat forward, please? You'd just be like, anything you say, Joey, by all means. So there was 80 coffins, but the majority of them won't really be containing boards that are suitable for the conditions at the start of the waiting period. What are we looking, what are we looking at here for the start of the comp? Oh, yeah, none of those boards are going to get a start. Um, I know, well, everyone saw the forecast coming, so I know that there was a lot of scramble uh, to get bigger boards down from, say, your Gold Coast shapers um, with what's on hand, but a lot of the surfers are going to be caught short. We did our first no contest uh, little clip yesterday uh, on the socials, and talking to Michelle, he was just so pumped to be over here and, you know, oh, it's good, I'm not on an epoxy, finally, way. <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of the vibe with everyone. They were on six threes and whatnot the, that first day. Uh, the weather's kind of gone to crap since then, but the first day they all were unleashed. Margaret's was, you know, solid six foot. The box was pretty solid and everyone was on, you know, sort of six ones, six threes. And yesterday or that day, Two days ago, it was sort of like a two and a half metre swell. And Friday's looking, or oh, sorry, Sunday, which is the first day of the contest, is, is like a five metre swell. So main break's going to be 10 foot plus. Um, box will probably be too big. Um, and then it sort of drops off for the next couple of days. But we're going to get, Sunday's going to be absolutely huge pumping um strong strong offshores so it's going to be those classic west aussie conditions with the big rooster tail plumes of spray coming off the back of waves people are going to be paddling in blind and late dropping in and trying to find their feet as they fall out of the sky um and then hopefully monday definitely tuesday as it starts to calm down a little bit then we'll see the box come into play and will there be a local scramble for boards? Will people be knocking on Taj's door, on Jake Patterson's door, trying to hunt down boards for that Sunday? <laughs> yeah, I've actually got uh, a 6.3 of Taj's in my car at the moment to drive down and drop off at Carissa's. So Shapers are obviously tapping whoever is around, so the mayhem connection there. But yeah, there'll, there'll be a scramble on for sure. It, it's going to be huge. And due to, due to the nature of running an event under the COVID protocols, North Point isn't an option, 
But given this swell, what options does Jesse Miley Dyer have to choose from on this first day? Uh, I think the choice will be made for her. It's going to be too big at the box. Um, It seems to be the consensus. Uh, I reckon her hardest choice will be on the second day. I would imagine that they will run men uh, all day on the Sunday when it's enormous. Uh, And then on the second day when it's dropping a little bit, it could be pretty perfect big main break, six to eight foot, which would be a great... Great morning or great day to showcase the women. It could also be best ever's across the bay at the box. And let's talk about main break. It, it, it's, it's kind of a contentious location amongst surf fans. A lot of people describe it as, as the worst wave in the region and, and a, like a barely surfable burger that ends on that dry rock shelf that it kind of a lot of the time ruins the potential for a, a decent end section manoeuvre. And then the other side's a left that is a bit of a burger as well. It's not, it's not always the most rippable wave. Is that a fair assessment, Chris Bins, Margaret River local? Uh, well, that sounds like you've been talking to Mick Fanning because that would be his <laughs> assessment of it. Um, considering he's won Margaret River before and, uh, and has been paid or recompensed handsomely by Dubbo tourism in the past to come and visit the area, Mick's got quite the negative view of the place but um no i don't think that's fair it's it's definitely not the worst wave in the region it's a it's an amazing wave it's just maybe slightly dated as a wave you know it's a bit like bells i'm sure a lot of people would argue i definitely think so that that winky pop is a far better wave but it's you can fit about 100 spectators in at winky pop whereas um and it might not work as well on all tides whereas bells you know, marches on all day long through the bowl and into Rincon and, you know, soaks up swells from every direction. Margaret River's a bit the same. Um, it's great to have a big, like a wave that gets really big and makes the surfers pull out a 6.6 or a 6.8 on tour, you know. People might not think of Sunset as the most high-performance wave, but it's, you know, it just tests another um, part of a surfer's repertoire and the end section, I think the surfers have proved by now that they are more than capable of taking that on. Um, they've redefined the way that you surf Margaret River. You watch Margaret's on a normal big day and it's a bunch of old dudes on really long boards paddling in and just catching 10-foot bombs and having a great time, but then you watch these guys in action. I mean, John is in a whole other category out there, but, you know, guys like... Um, Josh Kerr was probably one of the originals who just huck onto that end section and then guts it in on the whitewater across two inches of of reef until they get to the ski and then go around the long way on the left. Um, That's definitely been a game changer out there. I mean, the the surfers are doing airs on the end section at Choaps and at Shishkabobs at Cloudbreak these days, so I don't think the Margaret's end section is all that ferocious. It's just shallow. For me, Margaret River, and it's a cliche to mention at this point, but the fact that Taj has never surfed that wave other than when he's in a heat, I think is just, you're, you're probably right when you said it's a little bit dated. You don't see anyone filming out there for video parts. And yeah, it's 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 kind of an old school wave, a little similar to, to Bell's, but... Um, Let's talk about let's talk about wildcards. Well, hang on, just on that just on that point, it's it's a forty five minute drive from 
Taj's house and <laughs> you have to drive past a thousand amazing waves, including North Point, to get there. Um, I mean, I doubt Taj has surfed the box in the last five years either. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So the real, the real thing there is Taj uh, is, is, um, is lazy. Nah. I mean, that, I, guess that's the, I guess that's the point is there's all these other ways around. It feels like, what, what are we doing here, you know? Why don't we have it at any, one of those other setups? But let's move on. Let's talk about wildcards. So on the men's side, we've got Jacob Wilcox and Cyrus Cox. And I think most people know Jacob Wilcox. He, if you didn't see him in Surf, One, Stab's Surf 100 project, you would have seen his edit from last year or seen him show up uh, in previous events as a wildcard. He's... He's, he's a known threat, one of the best cheap riders in the world. But who the hell is Cyrus Cox? Well, he, he's obviously Finn Cox's younger brother. Uh, What's Finn Cox? Who's Finn Cox? Finn, Finn and Cy are two lads from sort of Margaret's who've just won a million, um, you know, underage state titles. Don't know much about Cy, but um, yeah, he's he's been ripping, and he and Jacob are the two flying the flag for the home team in the in the main event. And then on the women's side, the the wild card here is really exciting. The winner of the trials was a fourteen year old Willow Hardy. What do you think of Willow, and and can she? as a 14-year-old, actually take down some scalps in this event? That's a good question. Willow's an absolute legend. Uh, she's part of the Hardy clan. Um, Dad, Tony, was a shaper here in the 60s and 70s. Uh, his three sons, uh, Ryan Hardy, was the best bodyboarder in the world for a, a, a bunch of years. Uh, Ryan's twin brother, Brett, uh, has been a WA state champion, rules up north, one of the best backhand surfers out at North Point. Um, worked for Surfing Life a few years before I did back in the day. Uh, shares a distinction with his brother Gene. They went back-to-back covers of Surfing Life in the 90s, um, which has never been done by brothers. And Gene is Willow's dad. He's a absolute legend. Um, charges like a maniac. Uh, and then Willow and her other sister Olive are... Uh, yeah, two young girls who just surf all day long, clean up every junior comp there is. Um, fun fact about uh, Willow, she was in the WSL's Rising Tides program a couple of years ago, which is when Jesse Miley Dyer and a bunch of the world tour, the, the female world tour surfers used to surf with local grommets um, before the events got started and, and yeah, so a few years ago, Willow was sort of getting pushed into waves by Steph Gilmore and Sage and whoever else, and, and now she's in the trials, and I think she's actually coming up against Carissa, which is cool because Carissa even follows Willow on Instagram. And, nice. And, yeah, she's this, she's this crazy little outgoing character. Uh, she won Small Fries earlier this year, um, which is Taj's Grum Comp, and, and got up on stage at the presentation and, thanked her cats for, <laughs> you know, being her good luck charms. And, yeah, she's a really, really quirky, polite, well-spoken little legend. And uh, it's a tough ask as a 14-year-old. I mean, I know um, Tyler and 
Steph and even Caroline were quite young when they came on the scene and started winning events. But um, Willow definitely seems young. She's she's still got a lot of growing to do physically. Um, so coming up against Carissa, and I'm not sure who the third surfer is at Big, Big Margaret River, might be a bit of a challenge, but she'll take it on. She's such a legend. Yeah. She, she really attacks the lip and she can get barreled. So... She and, and she also, she's used to that size and that power. Like she's quite aggressive. She's not, she's right in the pocket and she's attacking the lip and she can pull into a barrel. So if there's anyone who can pull, any 14 year old that can pull off a, a win against Carissa, then she, she might be someone who can actually do it if she gets lucky in this, in this, in this event in terms of wave selection. Yeah. And, and I mean, last time I surfed with her was the night before Surf 100 when North Point started to break. Uh, we'd been watching it all day uh, and eventually called it off about three in the afternoon, hoping we'd be able to run it next morning. And it started to break just before dark and we all, we all bolted out and, uh, and Willow was out there with Dad Jean having a proper dig at some, you know, six-foot north point, so she's not going to be afraid. Yeah, that's... So, yeah. That's that's going to be it's, it's going to be exciting. Uh, I hope she wears a gaff in the, in the event too, and I hope she wins. I hope she thanks the cats for winning a, a WSL event. I hope that good luck is still flowing. Let's talk about Rottnest Island. I know Margaret's. We've seen a lot of events there, but you're super excited about the first World Tour event at Rottnest Island. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, can you just give us a quick overview of that wave and, and who you think is going to be dangerous out there? Yeah, for sure. Um, Strickos, so Strickland Bay is the main site. The backup site Stark Bay. Um, it's a left and a right. I've try, been trying to explain it to people, whereas Margaret River is, is out, out to sea as a point, Strickland Bay, it, it's in the bottom of a bay, so the swell gets funneled into it. Uh, it's less open ocean. The the left doesn't bend away from itself as much as the left at Margaret's does. It actually grows down the line. Um, you could say it's a short, poor man's macaronis. Like it's borderline a barrel, but not quite. So it's going to be steep enough for people to really attack it. Like it, it'll be the most rippable left on tour, I think, this year. And then the end section is just this, you think the... End section on the Margaret River right is a bit of a nightmare. The end section on the on the Strickland Bay left is just a car crash. 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 Thanks, Binzi. That is all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review the show. And if you do take the time to do that, please take a screenshot of your review and email it to me. My email is danny at stabmag.com. We're giving out Stab Premium memberships to the best reviews. So send it on through. Thanks for listening. And I love you forever. But my big goal is to, when quarantine lifts, uh, move down to Oahu, befriend all these kids, and let them just for a month. This is my right. I'm hoping quarantine lifts, and then I'm going to go down there for a month and just get into surfing really good, get in great shape. They don't drink. They don't drink, Tom. There's How could you do that? How could you hang with them? I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink. But okay. th- they don't drink. But I'm going to. I'm definitely. You, you not know they don't drink, dude. They drink psych juice. That's all they do. Psych juice. That's what they do, bro. Come on. Yeah. It's like I, yeah. This is for the boys, man. The boys. Oh, yeah. they, dude, they're 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 lingo.